0: Well, hello, and welcome back to Finding Our Way, our Southridge Church member podcast designed to give you the inside scoop on life in and around our church. I want to introduce you to today's host and our family life pastor, Carrie Jones. Well, hey, everyone, and welcome back to another edition of Finding Our Way. It's a Southridge member podcast. And today, I'm super happy to introduce all of you to Megan Good. Now, our family ministry team, along with our connection team, a few weeks back at the beginning of May, we were at a Jesus Collective conference. It's called Unite, and we got to hear from Megan, um, and we are so excited to share her voice and her perspective with all of you with our Southridge community today. Um, Now, before I dive in and have a conversation with Megan, I thought it was only fair that I give you a bit of a glimpse into who she is. And some of her background and why we are so excited to share her with all of you. So first of all, she's super smart. Um, She has a BA from Gordon College, an MDiv from Duke Divinity School, and recently completed a doctorate of ministry at the Portland Seminary, where she received an award for excellence in preaching. Her doctoral research focused on the nature of biblical authority and the way that the Western Church's relationship with Scripture has shifted through difficult, no, not difficult, different historical eras. She currently serves as the teaching pastor at Trinity Mennonite Church in Glendale, Arizona. In her free time, she loves to write and travel and really just help people um, rediscover the dazzling story of God. Now, I learned this about her and it's really cool. When she first entered graduate school, she had every intention to become a professional scholar. She imagined spending the rest of her days, you know, debating obscure ancient customs with fellow historical buffs and um, basically just like geeking out on all things Bible. And yet, as we know, God has always been a notorious plan disruptor. And this is really cool. One day, she was simply walking down a dirt road to a village half a world from where she lives, and she heard the Spirit's call to take her interest and passion in Scripture out of the academy and into the local church, where the dreams of God are lived out every day. And ever since then, she's lived and written from this in-between place, holding together her passion for ancient stories with God. Relentless passion for people. She recently wrote an amazing book called The Bible Unwrapped. And this book helps people who are really into Jesus, but who are um, baffled or maybe even repelled by the Bible, figure out how the two can work together to disrupt the world for good. And if Megan were to describe her faith in a nutshell, she would say that she believes God has spoken definitely or definitively in Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit, has not shut up since. And she would also say that an encounter with the living word of God is quite literally the greatest thing that could happen to any of us. It's certainly the best thing that's ever happened to her, and it's why she does what she does. And as I said, it's so great to have her on the podcast, and I'm really honored to have her here. So Megan, can you say hello to everyone listening?
1: Hi, Southridge. What a pleasure to be with you all virtually.
0: Amazing. Amazing. Well, Megan, I mean, I'm always a little bit, you know, awkward and nervous hosting a podcast, but I have to say I was telling one of our staff this morning, I'm especially nervous with um, hosting you because A, you're just like so articulate and so smart. Um, But I'm also like, okay, I want this girl to be my friend, so I can't mess this up.
1: (laughs) It's one of the great joys of getting to be out in the world is all the places you get to make new friends.
0: (laughs) Oh, you're so gracious. Well, um, we want to talk about, um, I mean, the talk that you, that you gave, um, at the Jesus collective conference was about reading the Bible in a Jesus centered way. And it's just a really great, um, you know, and timely perspective that, that we want to have that conversation. But before we get into that, can you just share a little bit about, you know, who you are, your background, where you grew up, maybe hobbies or interests that you have,
1: yeah, absolutely. Um, let's see, what what might be relevant? <laughs> I grew up in an Anabaptist church, if that term is familiar to your congregation, a kind of tradition that was very Jesus-centered in its orientation. But I um, really kind of, in my young adult years, got connected with a part of the Christian church, the more charismatic movement that really emphasized the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. Um, so a big part of my faith journey has been the kind of merger of um, Jesus-centered living and convictions with Holy Spirit-driven spirituality. And um, I really think there's a lot of beauty in um, the different streams of the church and coming together and enriching each other. So that's one of my passions. But mm-hmm. um, at this point in my life, I have lived in every major region of the United States. Um between childhood and adulthood, have just had a chance to live in some different places. i um, the longest in Oregon and Iowa, um, but kind of here and there a- across the U.S. And you've already revealed that I'm a nerd, so I guess I, I can say <laughs> that my, my actual hobbies are mostly, um, I'm a big uh, podcast junkie, so I love to listen to particularly science podcasts and policy podcasts. I have a a fantasy that if I didn't work for Jesus, I would work for NASA. So I really like to read books on theoretical physics and think about the ways that spirituality and science kind of speak into each other. So that's something that I do for fun.
0: Oh, that's amazing. Okay. What is like your, your favorite podcast right now?
1: Oh my goodness. There's so many, um, trying to think of, one of the names of the good science ones that I listen to. There's one called Mindscape that does philosophy and science. Um, yeah, kind of a merger of philosophy and science that I find really interesting. So I'd say that's
0: high on my list. Oh, that's cool. Well, my next question was going to be what's bringing you joy, but maybe that's the answer. Uh, maybe maybe the, the podcast listening is the answer, but I don't know if anything else comes to mind just about... Yeah. Yeah, that's certainly one thing that brings me joy. But um, in my
1: personal life, I'm about to become an aunt for the first time. So I'm Ooh. pretty excited about that development in a couple weeks. Oh, <laughs> um, and I'm also finishing up a new book on the topic of loneliness and the epidemic of loneliness in Western culture and how the church can speak into that cultural wound. So I'm in the stage of writing where I'm pretty charged up about <laughs> that process and just um, what I sense God saying
0: to the church. Oh, I love that. That's probably a whole other podcast. Um, That's very cool and very timely. Um, Well, you started to mention a little bit about just like, you know, how you grew up Anabaptist um, and and then that kind of, you know, shifted into a more charismatic experience and how the two have merged. Um, When, when would you say your faith story, your relationship with Jesus began?
1: Yeah, I think you know Christian stories have different shapes, and mine doesn't have a super clear beginning point um, because as far back in my life as I can remember, I felt drawn to mm. drawn to God, drawn to the things of Jesus. Um, but I, I certainly would say, like probably the defining period in which my faith became mine and took really deep personal roots was um, when I was 13 years old. And for a variety of reasons, just um, went through a very difficult period in my life with health and socially. And Mm. in the midst of that kind of dark period, I began at night going on walks with God, (laughs) and just asking my questions and expressing where I was. And somewhere in the midst of that darkness, just something began to light up. Mm. um, And I felt so profoundly changed by the presence that I encountered there that everything in my life kind of unfolded differently
0: from there. Oh, that's so beautiful. It's interesting that you said that, you know, those walks with God were really about you bringing your questions to God. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Because I feel like that's a lot of, of even like your book, right, is about these questions that we can bring to God. Um, Anyways, that's cool.
1: One of my favorite stories in the Bible is the story of Abraham who walked with God. Um, because I think it's such a good representation that our the primary invitation of faith is is to enter into a dialogic relationship with God, a, mm. a kind of give and take conversation. And it's it's not as much about having the answers as showing up for the conversation.
0: Oh, yeah. I love that. Very cool. Well, um, you know, before we, we started recording... Megan we talked about how um, you know our team, along with the connection team, um, participated in the the Jesus Collective conference called Unite back at the beginning of May, which really was a conference like no other I've ever experienced. Um, I mean, it was small, it was intimate, there was round tables and discussion and q and a, and it was it was just it was really beautiful. Um, I guess I'm, I'm curious, how, how did you get connected with this Jesus collective movement?
1: Yeah, you know, I I was trying to trace that back. I, what I remember the first connection being is actually, I was up in Vancouver, um, a few years ago after my book came out speaking to a group up there and everybody was kind of a buzz about the formation of the Jesus Collective which wasn't even fully launched at that time so it was a bunch of Canadians that I was speaking to at that conference that told me about it and got me curious enough to to look at what was going on and uh, Greg Boyd and I who Greg, some of you may know if you've read any of his books. Oh, yeah, we love (laughs) Greg. We've done some work together, writing together in the past. And so uh, once I knew he was kind of on board with this, I really got curious. And that was kind of the bridge in.
0: Oh, that's very cool. Well, let's let's dive into the topic um, of of scripture. Um, You know, when. When did you really come, when you talk about yourself, um, you know, as a Bible nerd, Bible geek, which, which I love, um, when did you really come to, to love scripture? When did it really um, come alive to you? Has that always been true for you? Talk with us a bit about that.
1: Yeah, well, I, that's really tied back to the, the question you asked earlier about when my own faith's journey began. Um, because it, it was during that period in my early teens, that kind of dark period in life that I, I actually remember the day I, I just kept thinking to myself, I'm so tired of being in my own head, <laughs> and just hearing the kind of mental loop of of feeling depressed and not knowing what to do. And, and one day, I just thought to myself, like, what if instead of just listening to me, I tried listening to see if God talked instead. Um, so what I decided to do, I got a got a little notebook out, and I decided I'm just going to start each day reading part of the Bible, and I'm going to listen until something catches my attention, and then I'm going to jot down some notes about it. Mm. So I started keeping this notebook of, just as a way of kind of reaching outside my own thought loop. Um, and it... Was amazing. Like very quickly in that practice, I just started finding so much life, um, different perspectives, and in, in the ways of seeing the world and who I was in it, and and what the possibilities of the world was. Um, so at this point, I have boxes of notebooks. I've kept that same practice basically since since age thirteen.
0: Oh my goodness!
1: Um, but you know, I always tell people when they they feel like they have to be an expert to read the Bible, like this practice was incredibly life giving for me long before I ever opened a single book about the Bible. And I still occasionally preach off those notebooks. Um, So
0: the Holy Spirit's able to speak if you're willing to listen. Wow. And that's such a beautiful message for like teenagers that are listening today.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's, it is not too early to start. There's, there's so much there.
0: No. And so, uh, as a as a young girl, as you started, you know, diving into scripture, listening, uh, journaling, and such, when did you start to struggle with scripture? When did you when when did you actually start to look at pieces and go, I don't get this, or this doesn't make sense, or what does this mean? Like, when did that begin?
1: yeah you know I, I hear a lot of people's stories of struggle with scripture and I would say one of the common versions there are a lot of people who find when they are reading the Bible that they they kind of stumble into struggle particularly around some of the darker or more violent texts in the Old Testament mm. um, for me that was actually not the entry point to struggle maybe because I came in young and a little naive and it what? didn't those questions didn't really occur to me early in my journey um but I would say the struggle for me began when I I had always had a passion for science as well as the Bible. And I started having questions about the relationship between science and scripture. Sure. Um, and some of the things that I had been told about the tension between those two. And, um, so that was the, the first crisis point for me in asking, what do I believe about the Bible? Um, how do I think about the kind of truth it teaches? How does it relate with other kinds of truth? Um, and then specifically around um, the Bible and the roles of women, as I began to feel just a really profound, deep call in my own spirit to teach scripture. And, um, and in my own case was a part of communities that did not support that sense of call um, for reasons okay. of scripture. And so yeah. it t- took me a lot of years to kind of navigate through what does that mean? And how do I read the Bible and think about it?
0: Okay, and so where did you land? Can you talk about like, where did you where did you land with both of those with, with the, the tension between uh, scripture and science and what scripture says and, and, and women in, in leadership, women in preaching, like talk about where you landed.
1: Well, and I don't, I don't, even, when you say where you landed, I don't know if you mean the outcome or even just how you, get there. how you get there, how you get there. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Better way of saying it.
1: Um, I think that maybe goes very much to the, the framework of my book. Um, in terms of, you know, some of the things that I was never taught about the Bible in my early encounters with it. Um, for example, the, the Bible has different kinds of literary genres. Yeah. And just like when, when we pick up, just out in the ordinary world, when we pick up a textbook, we understand that the rules of reading and the kind of truth that a textbook conveys is different than a sci-fi novel. Mm. And like both of them can say truthful things that are revealing about reality, but they speak their truth in different forms, and with different kind of customs of writing. And if you don't understand the kind of literature you're reading, you can get your outcomes kind of turned around. Um, so so part of it, I think, particularly with science was beginning to think about what are what are the different genres of literature that the Bible is speaking through? And how does that impact the way that I hear the truth that it's speaking? Um, when, I, when I asked that question, it turns out that most of the tension I felt between the Bible and science was false tension. Um, they're engaging in different kinds of project and speaking their truth in different ways. But as far as I can tell, there's, there's a great deal of compatibility.
0: Definitely. Um,
1: on women in ministry, I think that's a different kind of case. Mm. because there we get into questions of the bible's cultural context and and what does it mean that that the ways that god chooses to speak to humanity are not outside history uh, but Mm. that god chooses to speak to people in particular situations in particular cultures um giving them leading that is very real and specific to their context um but but pulling out like what are the key principles and how do they land in a different kind of context is, um, yeah, it's both what the church is equipped for in the Holy spirit. (laughs) And it's, it's an art that we haven't always talked about, um, how we Mm. think about that cultural component and what is universal and, and what is a cultural manifestation of a different kind of principle. And, um, you know i think that that question of what are the key principles is a really important one when it comes to women in ministry
0: oh that's fantastic oh my god this is so much more i would love to ask you about that um maybe maybe that's part of the next podcast but talk about i mean one of the things that we loved about you know um what you've what you've shared and and what you've written is, is this approach to scripture um in a Jesus-centered way? And, and when you say that, what do you mean? And why is it so essential that we have that lens when we read scripture?
1: One of the most common questions I get asked about the Bible is, doesn't everybody read in a Jesus-centered way? Like, what other way is there to read? Right. Which is a really good question. And my basic answer to that, is that the primary alternative to make this kind of really simple is what we would call a flat Bible approach. And this is the kind of approach that most people just take almost intuitively, mm. um, where when you want to know what does God think about a topic like money, um, what you do is you kind of look in the concordance and you look at all the verses in the entire Bible that talk about money, and and you assume that what God says or thinks about that subject is somewhere in the spectrum or the average of everything. Right. Um, that, that's a flat approach where e- each kind of word and verse gets equal weight. Mm. Um, there's an intuitive kind of sense to that, but the, the trouble with it is that's not actually the way the Bible itself teaches us how to read. Um, when Jesus came on the scene, he was constantly saying to people, "You've heard it was said," um, in in other places in Scripture, but I say to you. Mm. So Jesus clearly understood himself as giving a kind of clarity. Uh, to the words that were spoken before, like ordering things in the proper order. And in many cases, that reordering that Jesus did was very disruptive to how people understood the other pieces. Um, So if if we are followers of Jesus, kind of starting with his lead, um, part of what that means is we begin with the the clarity of what Jesus has said about God and God's desires. And then we work backwards toward everything else. And we, we don't just ask... What does the Bible say about money? We ask, what does Jesus say about money? And then we go out to the other pieces of the Bible and we say, what do these have to do with what Jesus taught? Right? Like, how do we think about these other teachings in light of what Jesus has clarified of God's true desires? Um, So, in many cases, what we'll find is that Jesus is fully aligned with other, for example, Old Testament teachings. He's building on a foundation that has been laid. Um, But on in some cases, we'll find Jesus pushing back against. Um, mm-hmm. things that were said and understood in particular ways in the past and, and saying like you you've heard this was said but in some way the way that you were hearing that doesn't fully capture what God was trying to get at so let's think that through again through a new lens so right. so that's kind of what we're doing when we're reading the Bible is is trying to look through Jesus's eyes and ears about everything that came before and after
0: yeah that's 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 a very a great way of, of explaining it. And, and just that, that piece of clarity, that's very cool. And I couldn't help but think that, um, you know, this is something we can also teach our, our kids and our youth to do. Right. Um, absolutely. From early age.
1: Absolutely. You know, I'm no, I'm no, um, youth education expert, <laughs> um, <laughs> but one of the things I, I would say is really useful. Um, I think this comes up particularly when we talk about how do we teach kids Old Testament stories? How how do we talk about what these stories are? Um, That in my mind, there's two key practices that it's really useful to teach children in particular. Um, One is to be able to enter the biblical stories with imagination and Mm -hmm. to understand that um, your story with God is just as real as these stories. Um, so you can put yourself in the people's shoes in each biblical story and ask yourself, like, wh- what would I do in this situation? What do we learn about God and people in this? So it, that is teaching the art of imagination, <laughs> of a mm. biblically formed imagination. Um, but the other thing is to continually ask kids the question when we're, we're talking about a story, what do you think Jesus would say or do here? And why
0: That's a good question? Yeah.
1: What, what would Jesus say about this? And why? Um, yeah. And what you're teaching kids to do is, is create a rhythm of Jesus centered thinking, in which every kind of claim about God or every situation is, is kind of explored through the lens of both, what do I think Jesus would say? And what is that grounded in? Where did I get that idea from? <laughs> what, yeah. what have I seen wow. in Jesus or heard in Jesus that's informing the way I'm thinking?
0: Oh, I love that. And that's part of the reason actually we, I mentioned, um, earlier when we were talking that, you know, we've, we've uh, switched to the one story, Jesus collective curriculum for that very reason for how they approach scripture in a Jesus centered way and give lots of rooms for (laughs) room, um, for question asking and just keep, keep bringing it back to Jesus, which is, is really, really beautiful. Um, Okay, so in your book, right, In the Bible Unwrapped, which is about making sense of scripture today, one of the things you do is you invite readers to faithful reading, communal discernment, and then deep and transformative wonder about scripture. Um, what do you mean when you, when you talk about um, the phrase communal discernment?
1: Yeah, a, a lot of people who are have grown up in Protestant traditions in the West have a very kind of individual mindset about the way that we engage Scripture. It's, you know, me with my Bible on my lap in a room by myself. Um, and there's totally a place for that kind of reading. God can speak to all of us um, through that private Scripture reading, and that's really life-giving um, for me as well. But I, I think we have to understand that The Bible is this immense, beautiful, complex story of God's work in the world, and understanding what God is saying on specific questions involves pulling together a lot of pieces and asking how they connect. And and the ways that they connect is not always perfectly obvious. Um, All of us have blind spots, all of us have biases, all of us have fears that inform the ways that we put those pieces together and, and think about the connections, and so we're pretty vulnerable to falling straight in our own kind of personal ditches. If we aren't doing this discernment of God's word and God's will with other people who are different from us, um, who who can help kind of think around the questions we're asking and think with us, what are the different ways these pieces could be connected? And, and what combination of connections looks the most like Jesus here? Um, mm-hmm. So communal discernment is about, it's about exposing and correcting our blind spots. It's about listening to the Spirit's voice through through the community um, that is equipped together uh, to hear most clearly what God is saying and doing. And mm. I think we miss a lot if we're only hearing our own angle and voice and interpretation. Um, there's a lot to be gained by listening to others.
0: Oh, I love that, that's beautiful. I mean, it just reminds me that, you know, this, this lifestyle of following Jesus was never meant to be done alone. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I know even, even before we started recording, Megan, you and I were talking about how coming out of the pandemic, you know, um, we are in a lot of ways, replanting our churches, rebuilding our churches. And there's a lot of people that maybe in the past couple of years have even realized that or they would have have felt like they can follow Jesus without being a part of the church. Yeah. Um, and yet, like what I'm hearing you say is we actually need each other and we need each other to understand scripture. And this is what it means to be the body of Christ, which, um, is a really good segue into the the next conversation I want to have is about the church. Um, and you know, I wanted to ask about, you know, why is scripture so important in the church. And I think you've, you've started to allude to that. Yeah, And how can scripture trans, I guess there's so many questions I'd love to ask. How yeah. can scripture transform us as a church? How can we make scripture a real priority in our individual lives, and in our, in our church lives? Um, let's talk about, about that.
1: Yeah. Let me talk a little about the importance of scripture in the church and the role it plays, and then go back to the comments you just made about, you know, the thoughts that all of us are having kind of coming off of COVID rhythms about what is the role of the church and why does it matter or not? Um, You know, I, I find that many people will say to me who, who feel some kind of discomfort with scripture you know, I, I go with my own kind of gut, like something feels right to me, like right or wrong, and that's what I trust. Mm. Or they'll tell me, I think this is what Jesus thinks. Um, but without when when I say, Well, where do you see that in Jesus? They <laughs> they kind of go blank because they haven't spent much time with scriptural Jesus, right? Um right. so so what is happening in those conversations? I think is often in part that we don't realize that our our gut feeling about things is informed. Um, It can be informed by the Holy Spirit, but it's also informed by our culture. It's also Mm -hmm. informed by our wounds. It's also informed by our experiences and the ways that we've interpreted them. Um, So so that gut feeling I have, like, this is God or this isn't, that's coming from somewhere. Um, and so one of the things we don't do when we just kind of trust the authority of the gut is ask where that authority is is grounded and what's kind of speaking into it. Um, and the other thing that happens when we make appeals to Jesus that are disconnected from Scripture is that in many cases, we're saying Jesus, but what we're actually meaning is is basically, I looked in a mirror and drew a beard on it. Right? <laughs> the Jesus that I'm talking about is really like an inflated version of me. Mm-hmm. Um, so, what we have in Scripture is the results of thousands of years of people repeating stories um, and testing the truth of these stories in diverse contexts across time, across the world, across cultures. Um, the, you know. Nowhere else do we have a set of texts, a set of stories that have been so thoroughly interrogated and tested and turned mm. around um, by so many people through time seeking God. So, so the beauty and the gift is we don't have to start this discernment process from scratch, and we have a chance to kind of check that gut and check those pictures we have of Jesus um, against something outside ourselves. Right? Mm. This isn't just an internal exercise that my access to, to truth is more than what I can get in the mirror. Like I, I have something to kind of ground and, and test against. So that that's part of the really important gift of scripture. Um, one of my professors used to say, like most of us are prone to drinking our own balloon juice. You know, mm-hmm. we, we start, um, we, we create our narratives and then we kind of drink them back in. And sure. we all are in need of something to disrupt that cycle. Right. So that's one of the reasons scripture is so important. Um, the word canon, scriptures also often called a canon, literally means like a measuring reed, a measuring stick. Um, mm-hmm. but this is, it's not the only place that God speaks, um, but it, it's a place we can kind of measure and test what we think we've heard against thousands of years of, of people listening and weighing carefully. Yeah. Um, so kind of looping back to what you had raised earlier, the, the question of why the church Mm. I think there there are a couple of pieces that's a really crucial question right now. Um, one of them is, you know, for periods of time, like, you're probably not going to experience a grand crisis, right, by spending some time kind of retreating and and quietly listening in your house or whatever your practice is, like, mm. that's not going to produce an instant crisis of faith or anything like that. Um, but over time, when we are isolated, we become more vulnerable and more and more vulnerable to those Self-based distortions, um, mm. and and in part culture-based distortions, because even if you're not grow- going to church, you're still drinking in a narrative every single day, um, mm. coming from elsewhere in the world, telling you what the story of reality is and what's possible and what's not. Mm. And I've seen so many people really profoundly affected by that during COVID in ways that I'm not even sure they've fully recognized of. You know, their religious rhythms were disrupted, but they were still drinking in narratives from the news and from Netflix and YouTube and all the other places we, we take in content, not realizing that all of those are forms of worldview formation right. and that unless we're in conversation with others about an alternative narrative in which mm-hmm. reality is shaped by God and God is involved in it, it's easy for any of us to start getting swept up in alternative stories Right. Um, that doesn't mean that church has to look a certain way, right? We may, we may in this next period in the West see many new expressions of what Christian community looks like, but it means there's a critical role, no matter what the form is, there's a critical role in us being together and, and centering ourselves on an alternative story of the world together um, that right. we're asking questions about communally and not just individually.
0: Yeah, that reminds me. One of the things that was a big takeaway for me and that I really loved at the Unite Conference um, was, and I forget who shared it, but it, it was a, a phrase that like Jewish rabbis would have used when they were wrestling through these these sacred texts. And I think it was like sacred arguing. Does that sound right? Um, yeah,
1: like the- there's definitely some version of that. That's a huge part of Judaism,
0: right? That we're sharpening each other with our our thinking, and we wrestle it through together, and um, yeah, I can't help but think that, that that also applies to this very conversation, right?
1: Absolutely. In the Jewish tradition, we even argue with God that way. <laughs> That's
0: part of the dialogue. Right. Well, what would you say is is really one of the great invitations right now and opportunities um, for the church? Well, I think it, I could think of that question
1: in several different directions, Um, One is that I I deeply believe that the church is on the cusp of a new reformation era, um, Mm -hmm. where there are certain points in the life of the church that are true turning points where questions are asked again, and explored in new ways. And I don't know if any of us would choose to live in that time. But here we are, I think in on the cusp of a a very real one, a kind of once in a 500 or 1000 years kind of turning point in the life of the church. And part of what I I believe that God is doing in this time is is drawing some streams of the church together that have been disconnected for a really long time. Um, mm-hmm. specifically Jesus-centered faith with Holy Spirit centered life. <laughs> and that those that the merging of those streams, the discovery of a of a life that I, I think looks very much like the life of the early Christians, which was so much rooted in following Jesus and so much empowered by the Spirit's presence. Um, that's something that we are invited to rediscover, mm. and I think we're going to find the Christian life is so much bigger and so much more of an adventure than we have settled for in this past era of the church. Uh, another opportunity I think is more cultural. You know, we we are certainly in a cultural time when many people are finding faith is much more difficult, um, because there's so many kind of philosophical pressures deep in the water to say the material is all there is yeah the the things that our instruments of science can measure are all there is and again i love science i'm a huge science buff (laughs) Um, (laughs) but materialism as a philosophy is more religious than it is scientific it's it's a faith-based way of thinking that everything there is can be measured in this way Um, and i i think that that kind of philosophy of materialism is very deadening and flattening of the world. And, and many people sense that at a gut level. Mm. Um, and it, it also a culture that fully embraces, it doesn't know how to ask some really important questions about what does it mean to be human? And mm-hmm. you, you look across the West and we had just an epidemic of anxiety and depression and loneliness. And mm-hmm. my suspicion is that's what results when you, treat humans in a not integrated way when, when you stop recognizing that we are we are social and we are spiritual and we are meant for encounter and relationship and a purpose beyond ourselves. and mm. it, it's only in worship and in service and connection outside ourselves that we become fully healthy and fully human and when the world is flattened in that way and robbed of those pieces culture's flounder. Um, And so I think we have a huge opportunity right now to speak not just to the presence of God, but to the shape of true humanity in a way that will give hope to a
0: lot of people who are feeling without it. Oh, that's beautiful. Okay, I know I'm running out of time. And I got to ask one more question, though. The question that's popping into my mind is, um, you know, a, a very Trendy or just just common phrase that's used um, a lot these days is is those of us who have deconstructed our faith, right? Yeah. Um. Maybe the faith we grew up with or were handed that was handed down to us that we've deconstructed and there's a lot that we're we're shedding and letting go of and and that's all really important. Um. Could you speak in closing about how the role that Scripture plays as we reconstruct our faith?
1: Yeah. Let me think around deconstruction out loud for a second. <laughs> okay. um, I, I often tell my, my church there's two ditches on every road. <laughs> and mm-hmm. people often tried, who are, have fallen to one ditch often try to correct and fall into the other. <laughs> um, the, the two ditches on the deconstruction road are basically thinking you know everything and thinking you know nothing. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it's really easy to topple on either side. Um, so when we begin to deconstruct, part of what we're discovering is, is we don't know everything and neither do the leaders or the communities that have formed us, right? All, all leaders, all communities, all traditions get things wrong. And ideally as we discern and listen to the spirit and mature, and as our wounds are healed, we start to discover some of the things that were distorted and begin to untangle them, um, that's the positive vision of deconstruction, right? Mm -hmm. It's it's getting our vision more aligned to reality by untangling the things that distorted our vision. Um, it's important to keep in mind as we do that, it's not a steady progression, (laughs) Um, just like we could get things wrong before we can get things wrong now. Um, so that process does not happen with perfect clarity and directionality. Um, Mm -hmm. but on the other hand, um, it's not that we can know nothing. There's a remarkable consistency through the ages among followers of Jesus of of major truths, major trustworthy things to stand on that have emerged again and again and again. Hmm. Um, and sometimes what happens when we're in the process of correcting from the one ditch is we fall into the other of like everything is unknowable or there's nothing worth keeping. And and a lot of babies disappear with the bathwater. Yeah. Um, so part of what scripture gives us is a kind of line to hold in the center of the road that keeps us from toppling to either ditch. Um, because on the other thing, we, on the one hand, we don't know everything. Um, scripture takes a lot of interpretation, and that can be challenging, and we can get pieces wrong. Um, but also, we're not starting from scratch. We're not starting from nothing. God is a God who... Has been revealed again and again with a remarkable level of consistency. And so, what we're, we have to go on is not just our own stories and the stories of our three closest friends, um, but millennia of people who have walked this walk out and have discovered not just the inside of their own head, but something real outside themselves again and again and again that has a consistent shape. Mm. So, part of what we get in scripture is that witness. And it's it's also worth just as a reminder, when we're in that deconstruction mode and we're asking critical questions of our faith, uh, to remember to also ask those same kinds of critical questions of the culture around us, um, right. because we can otherwise we can start swallowing pop philosophy, without without consciously realizing that's what we're doing as a new element of kind of distorted faith, right? So so we we want to also bring that lens of scripture to ask those same kind of kind of interrogating questions of the world around us. Like what is underneath this? What does it assume? Um, who benefits from those assumptions? Um, let's, let's ask those questions outside in what's in the cultural water as well.
0: This is amazing. I'm absolutely loving this conversation. Um, okay. I need to wrap up as I look at my, at, at my clock, but, um, Megan, it's just been a real gift to have you join us on the podcast today. And I personally have just really appreciated the fresh perspective that you bring um, and what it means to keep Jesus at the center of how we understand scripture, combined with that leading of the Holy Spirit. And, you know, those two values together um, in this time of reformation, as the church is being reborn, is really exciting. And I know many of us have talked and I often find myself in conversations just about how hard life is right now, right? Coming out of two years of the pandemic and what this means for our lives and our communities and our churches. And it is all hard. And like, I love the, the content of this conversation because of of what it's making possible and because of what God is is doing in our midst. And so thank you so much
1: my pleasure i just encourage anyone who needs hope to remember jesus often talks about in 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 his story when things are dying things are also being born and and that's the hope in our lives and in the life of the church
0: yes amen absolutely okay so for people that are listening and they're like i want to hear more from this girl um you know i mentioned your book the bible unwrapped um And I know that you're writing a new book and I'm I'm excited to get my hands on that when it comes out. Are there other ways people can connect with you? You have a, are you on social media? You have a website? Talk about that.
1: I am on Facebook, but I must confess, I'm not much of a poster. So if you're hoping to hear from me, that's probably not your best bet. (laughs) I do have a website, meganlarissagood.com. And I'm a pastor. So a lot of the content I put out there from week to week is on our church's website, trinitymennonite.com. Um, There's weekly sermons you can view, and also I'm in the process of developing, um, there currently is a one curriculum set on interpreting the Bible posted there, and I'm working on some new curriculum sets as well that will talk about things like how do we think about salvation today Mm -hmm. and some other really kind of big, important questions for the church. So um, watch that website for postings of new video sets if you're interested in just having some more
0: things to think about. Oh, that's amazing. Well, thank you so much. Um, I'm looking forward to our paths crossing more. And for all of you listening, thanks for being a part of this conversation. Take care, and we will see you next time as we continue to find our way together.